It's Thursday, January 13th, 2022, and you're listening to Matters of Policy and Politics, a Hoover Institution podcast devoted to governance and the balance of power here in America and around the free world. I am Jonathan Mavroides, Senior Writer at the Hoover Institution, and I'm sitting in the chair of Bill Whalen, the Virginia Hobbs Carpenter Distinguished Policy Fellow in Journalism, so that he can answer questions and provide commentary about California policy and politics in which he is well-versed. Bill Whalen, in addition to being a Washington Post columnist, writes weekly for Hoover's California On Your Mind web channel, and Edison publishes Eureka, a quarterly forum featuring analysis and commentary from Hoover scholars and California's top thinkers. Whalen is joined today by Leo Hanian, Hoover Institution Senior Fellow and Professor of Economics and Director of the Edinger Family Program in Macroeconomic Research at the University of California, Los Angeles. Ohanian also writes twice per week about the policy environment of the Golden State for California on your mind. Uh, good day, gentlemen. Let's talk about the latest developments in policy and politics in the Golden State. Uh, there's a lot to talk. There's a lot to talk about today. Uh, Bill, I read your column in California on your mind this morning about the next state budget. Uh, you write that if the governor has his way, California state legislature chooses not to engage in horse trading, which won't happen given that pork barrel spending and election years pair like wine and cheese. Uh, the next state budget would surpass $286 billion. Uh, note that this year's budget is $262 billion. Uh, you write that one key factor in the next budget is education. Uh, will teachers unions get what they want? And if so, will that be politically advantageous for a governor whose state is struggling with student achievement rates? Well, hi, Jonathan. Hi, Lee. Uh, happy, belated Happy New Year to both of you. Hope you both are doing well. Um, is it enough for education in California? I've worked in state government. I've, I've been nosing around state government for the better part of 25, almost 30 years now. It's never enough. Um, uh, schools will cry foul no matter how large the increase just because they'll always want more. Uh, so the appetite there is kind of insatiable. Uh, but really the question here is going to be the attitude and approach of teachers unions in California. If we're going to see uh, a similar spectacle to what you had uh, in Chicago this past week, uh, week and a half where uh, the teachers union just walked out and uh, to, to, to drag the mayor to the negotiating table and, and got a sweetheart deal to come back. Uh, you've seen strains of this so far in some parts of California up here uh, in the Bay Area. Area, for example, Oakland school teachers uh, have engaged in so-called sick outs. And what these are are one-day walkouts, temper tantrums, if you will. Teachers saying we refuse to go back and teach uh, in the current working conditions. Uh, and it's very interesting because you see this push and pull. There are other educators who will say, well, wait a second, we have sanitized the schools as best as we can. We're testing like crazy. Uh, we've all gotten you know, our shots. We've all been boosted. Why don't we go back and teach? But yet you have unions kind of holding back out, I suspect, because they see leverage. And I mentioned this because you look at a budget. You mentioned um, in the opener, it's $286 billion. Um, uh, to put this in perspective, when I first came to Sacramento in 1994, Lee and Jonathan, the budget passed that year. It's $57.5 billion now, adjusted for inflation. That's about $108 billion, I think, but it's still two, two and a half, almost three times what it was uh, you know, back then. Um, if you stack these dollars, one on top of another, um, a billion dollars, as none of us can really figure out what, billion, what a billion dollars is. I did a little perspective on this. You stacked one dollar on top of another 68 miles high. <laughs> that means that the uh, state of California spending in, uh, in this year would reach 19,500 miles up into the sky, if you could put your hands on that. Um, 
but the point here is that uh, you have money to spend, which makes for better times, obviously, than having to cut spending. So what could be the fly in the ointment? And that would be it if the teachers unions just decided they didn't want to go along with the governor and just wanted to be difficult and reluctant. Why is that? Uh, because this just makes for terrible news and terrible coverage. And I think it ties into one sleeper issue here that's maybe problematic for Newsom moving forward, and that's COVID fatigue. People are just kind of tired of the status quo. They're tired. They're tired of what's going on in the schools. They're tired of what's going on with masking policies and mandates and something that is want this to end. And the unions could in some kind of way, if they wanted to drag this out more. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, it's remarkable that the budget is now up to, um, but was it 287 billion? If just, if, just about two, just about 287 and it was a 262 last year. So on a good, that's because Lee, there's a $43 billion surplus. And if you want to talk about what drives a surplus, what's unique about this, you feel free to go ahead. <laughs> Yeah, well, it's it's interesting because Bill, I'm um, I'm I'm trying to remember um, after the financial crisis or after the worst of the financial crisis for California, which ended around 2013, I believe the budget was somewhere in the neighborhood of what 150 billion. Um, now there hasn't been, uh, with the exception of this year, there hasn't been a ton of inflation, so. If we think back eight years, uh, this represents just an enormous increase in state spending. And you know, I think most people are gonna look around <laughs> who've been here eight years and say, you know, I don't really see things <laughs> getting much better. My, my, the roads I drive on are really about the same. The quality of the schools is about the same. Um, we still have drought. Uh, whenever we have drought, we still have water shortages. Um, I think people are going to start asking, I hope they start asking, you know, where, where is this money? Where is this money going? Um, and it's going to pet projects. It is, um, you know, Newsom has made a big deal about investing in schools. And in principle, that's a really good idea if those investments did bear the types of rates of return that we should expect as taxpayers that, that we should expect. But, uh, but they don't. They don't. They don't do that, and and um, you know there's there's two reasons uh, I'll focus on here for a moment about why they don't. Um, <clears throat> some of those investments go to shoring up teacher pensions. Mm -hmm. uh, so these are promises made from back in the day. And as a sidebar, states really need to get out of the retirement business. Um, there there's just too many good reasons why the private sector has essentially gone that route and why this is um, a bad avenue for states to continue to go down. Uh, from the standpoint of keeping employees in place when maybe they wanna go somewhere else uh, to making promises that are easy to make uh, today uh, and, and then for politicians not to be around 10 years later when those promises have to be fulfilled. The other reason why we're not seeing a return from uh, from these types of investments um, is really, yeah. I, I mean, I I don't want to be too critical of teachers, but I will be very critical of the teachers' unions, who, as Bill, as you noted, um, are the fly in the ointment with respect to the governor. Um, they're an incredibly powerful political constituent hugely important for political support for the governor and for the rest of the state's Democratic Party. And when we look around at school performance, it is simply not changing. The latest numbers, <clears throat> the latest numbers came out, I believe, last week in terms of school achievement. Um, 
State Assemblyman Kevin Kiley, who interestingly enough, Bill, was, uh, was fired, um, to, 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 to use maybe a crass term, he was fired from the Assembly's uh, Education Committee. Um, he was one of the two Republicans on that committee. Kylie has been incredibly critical of Newsom and more broadly of the state's approach to education. He right. has been critical of unions. He's been critical of the lack of merit-based pay. He's been critical of the types of teacher tenure, you know, job security for life after about 18 months of working. Uh, and he was very summarily fired with, without one word. Um, and what we're seeing is um, just enormous drops in academic achievement. Um, and as the uh, as my, my youngest is 14 and he was in public school up until about two years ago in California, um, the common core bar is not at all high. Yep. African-American kids uh, are proficient in math, only 15%. Just 15% of African-American kids are proficient or above in mathematics. 70% of Asian American kids are proficient. And the big difference um, from where I sit, it's not racism. <laughs> there's mm -hmm. plenty of racism. If, if, if people want to play the racism card, there's plenty of racism uh, you can point to versus Asian Americans. Um, it's really that a lot of black kids are in underperforming schools, schools that continue to get enormous amounts of money <laughs> that seems to go up the, the worse they fail. Yeah, um, you know, you know, it's it's interestingly there is a kind of an ongoing debate among academics in America as to what is the bluest state in America, and uh, the website 538.com, for example, which crunches election numbers all the time, they have a uh, they have a standard for it. What they do is they look at how each state votes uh, overall in congressional gubernatorial elections. Um, by that metric, Lee and Jonathan, California is about twenty five percent more to the left than. The middle of America, but it's only the uh, fifth most, uh, fifth bluest state under those standards. Five other, four other states uh, vote for more Democratic. But I would contend if you look at policy and California's priorities, Lee and Jonathan, when I, back in the dark days when I wrote for uh, a governor of California, uh, we had just a kind of throwaway line in all our budget speeches, which was a budget represents not just our values, but our priorities. Well, let me throw this uh, at you guys as one statement about this. Uh, inside the governor's um, budget, Lee and Jonathan, there's tucked away $255 million in grants for local law enforcement to combat retail theft. This is the governor's Solution to going after smash and grab. We'll, we'll toss out $255 million. Meanwhile, the governor wants to expand Medicare eligibility to the California's undocumented population, about 700,000 more people getting uh, into this. Uh, it would cost about $2.2 billion annually for that. So look at it that way. Um, you know, I look at this and uh, this budget does show the departure from the Jerry Brown years, uh, where Jerry Brown, number one, famously tried to fashion himself as the cheapest man in town, a cheapskate, even though, uh, as Lee mentioned, the budget has shot up over these years. By the way, I look back, Lee, the 2013-14 budget uh, for California, it came in at $96.3 billion. If you adjust that for inflation, it's about $113 billion. So here we've more than doubled it just uh, in real time in just the last decade. But anyway, getting back to this, during the Brown years, uh, one easy way to sum up Jerry Brown's approach was uh, from the Tom Cruise movie in the line, show me the money. And this is particularly true with one policy matter, and that was single payer health care. 
time and again, Democrats and legislature, Lee and Jonathan would would toss about would talk about this. They complain about it, ask where the governor was, and Jerry Brown, in his very kind of cryptic and crusty way, would simply say, "If you can show me how we can pay for it, I'll consider it." Well, Lee. Someone has shown Governor Newsom how to pay for it. And perhaps you'd like to explain how single-payer health care in California would be paid for. Yeah, yeah. So uh, very interesting. Last year, um, the uh, the representative from San Jose, Osh, um, um, she built, um, I, I don't want to mispronounce his last name. Um, Osh Kalral, I believe, uh, mm-hmm. one of the one of the representatives from San Jose introduced an amendment last year for single payer healthcare. Um, And he, um, as far as I can tell, he's not the, he's not um, the most economically interested of our state legislators because he introduced that without a way way to pay for it. Uh, So he was shot down because going back to Jerry Brown, uh, show me the money. So this year he reintroduced a single payer healthcare with with a budget that would, um, that would double personal income, uh, well, actually double state income tax revenues, uh, double those tax revenues. And this is on top of the budget bill that you just noted um, has more than doubled in real terms, substantial more than doubled in real terms since 2013, 2014. So now we want to double it again. Uh, And it is just a, um, you know, there's no other way to put this than it's just a complete economic mess. So what Colorado and those others uh, who were signing on to the tax increase slash single payer healthcare have proposed are um, ta- a number of tax, uh, a number of surtaxes on individual income. This would drive up California's marginal tax rate on the highest earners uh, to over 18%. It's now 13%. 0.3 percent. Mm-hmm. Uh, once we push it up to 18 percent, the striking the striking number I'm going to give you is that the marginal tax rate for that person can be as high as 67 percent. Once we take into account federal marginal tax rate uh, and also sales taxes uh, at the county level, which which are as high as nine and a half percent in in LA County, I don't know if that's the highest. I think LA County is the highest, so, but we get up to a marginal tax rate of sixty seven percent. I was um, a, I was a very bad boy earlier this week, Lee, and I took your very excellent column on this tax proposal and sent it to every friend I have who lives in the Southland. And I sent the link with your column, but I also sent this pull quote from which you wrote: "Quote: If the law is passed, the combined marginal tax rate for a top earner in Los Angeles County, including county sales tax, would rise to sixty-seven point one five percent (parentheses, thirty-nine six percent federal, eighteen point oh five percent state, and nine point five percent county sales tax." Lee, what's going to happen to Los Angeles County if you're taking two thirds of people's income away from them? Yeah, and, and Bill, this is uh, so. This proposal is occurring immediately after the Census Bureau announced that nearly one percent of California's population, on net, right, after taking into account those who moved here, have left. So California is, you know, I don't know, 39 million, uh, nearly 370,000 Californians on net 
left last year uh, in total numbers is by far the, is, is the state by far that had the largest exit in percent terms. Mm-hmm. New York was higher, uh, Illinois about the same, um, no one else really close. Uh, Florida and Texas and Arizona and Nevada and, 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 and your family state of South Carolina, of course, continued to gain people. And the pattern is just, you know, this is economics. California is incredibly expensive. And now some state legislators want to make it more expensive for a, uh, for a health care plan um, that, you know, we can debate about the benefits and the costs of, uh, of single payer. Personally, I think the numbers all show that it would be a disaster. It would not provide the quality people are looking for. It would not be cost effective uh, in the least. Mm. Pretty much every European country has shown has shown that. Um, but now it's being done uh, for essentially one group. Um, so I took a look at you know who has insurance, who doesn't have insurance. <laughs> and among those uh, under the age of 65, so um, you know so Medicare eligible is 65. and of course Newsom is is, uh, is talking about a budget that now takes care of undocumented folks uh, at 65. Um, among that group, those who don't have health coverage um, is pretty much undocumented, undocumented folks. Um, there's about 1.2 million that have not purchased insurance mm-hmm. um, and that are not eligible for, for federal subsidies. Um, there's a large group of people who are Medi-Cal um, eligible. So California's version of Medicaid, there's half a million, 600,000 people who could sign up for Medi-Cal. They just haven't. Um, those people have available very inexpensive insurance. They just haven't done it. There's about another 600,000 who, um, who are eligible to purchase insurance through the exchanges with including very generous federal subsidies. Um, the, the, what, what these folks in the legislature who wanna provide single payer, what they have not done is tell us why this is so desperately needed. 93% of Californians are covered. 93%. Those who are not are choosing for whatever reasons, um, choosing not to sign up, including those who could sign up for essentially free healthcare with, with Medi-Cal. Um, so it looks like at the bottom line, it looks like this is being proposed simply to take care of those 1.2 million undocumented people. This is this in no way is being is being uh, advertised because obviously this would be a very bad advertising campaign for that proposal, but this would lead to just enormous loss of businesses. And this includes a, uh, so this proposal includes a, as much as a 2.3% gross receipts revenue tax. California, if this were to become law, California would become one of the very few states that have both a corporate income tax and a gross receipts tax. Mm-hmm. And if, you know, if, if a business is earning a, <clears throat> a uh, if they're earning a margin of about ten percent, you know, businesses are anywhere between kind of four percent up to maybe fifteen or twenty percent, depending on the industry and the business. Um, that two point three percent gross receipts tax turns into about a twenty three percent profits tax. It's equivalent to about a twenty three percent profits tax. And in that piece, um, in that piece you mentioned, Bill, I compare California to Sweden. The combined marginal tax rate in California would be about equal to that of Sweden. But what Sweden does in their wisdom is they have a very low corporate income, business income tax rate. They know 
that they have to do that because otherwise their businesses would be uncompetitive and their people would be immiserized. The, our, our California legislators just aren't seeing that. And it's, uh, it's very, very worrisome because we have super there are Democratic super majorities in both houses. And, uh, and Bill, as I understand, this, this would be a two-thirds, two-thirds vote yes. in both houses to raise taxes. Yeah, so there are all kinds of interesting political angles to play here, Lee. The first one, as you mentioned, uh, it's a constitutional amendment, so you need a two-thirds vote in legislature. So you're now asking, um, to the extent there are still moderate Democrats in legislature, obviously every Republican will vote against it. Uh, but moderate Democrats, they might think this is walking the gangplank. And there are some Democrats who do come from vulnerable seats. Not every seat in California is a given. So that's issue number one. Uh, second political consideration uh, is that this would then land on the November ballot. And if I am looking to kill liberal ideas or looking to drive moderate to conservative turnout to kill or pass other measures, uh, this is a godsend, uh, this tax increase. So that's the second thing to consider. But Lee, um, this single payer care has been tried in America. It was tried in Vermont. And I think they uh, tried it for about three years, I think from 2011 to 2014, to try to make it work. And they couldn't. They finally gave up. This is Bernie Sanders' home state, ironically. Uh, Vermont couldn't do it, uh, leave with a population of about 650,000 people the last time I checked. So it's not even 160th out of California. Um, but perhaps more to the point, Lee, why would I trust the state of California running health care when if you look at EDD and you look at DMV, one thing the state of California can never be called is a good manager. So why would you trust it with health care? So much dysfunction. Um, EDD is on the books right now for about $31 billion, I believe, in fraudulent payouts. Um, to people who never existed, um, to people who who are who are uh, impersonating Diane Feinstein, um, and at the same time you have legitimate unemployment claims that remain unpaid for months and months. People being evicted from their ho their homes um, because they have no unemployment benefits. Um, so, Bill, I, uh, uh, I, I would love to hear of the state function that's run really, really, really well. You brought up EDD and DMV, um, but I can't really think one off the top of my head that's run competitively. And, the, you know, the real problem is that when we get into state and local government administration, um, is that the, the discipline of a competitive marketplace is completely missing. So they're the only game in town. The DMV is the only game in town to get a driver's license. EDD is the only game in town to get unemployment benefits. Um, I would love to set up dual agencies that have to compete against each other in order to get efficiency and functionality and to provide incentives to those who work there to do a good job. Right now, there's no efficiency. There's no functionality because there's no accountability and there's no incentives. And Bill, when you mentioned, um, hey, you know, Vermont couldn't do it, uh, and California can't can't really swing a functional DMV or a functional EDD. Well, you know, I went on to the state auditor's webpage <clears throat> to look to see how many problems uh, have been reported within their state audits of California's Medi-Cal system, which uh, right now is covering, I think, about 13 million people. And you go on that website and there are just um, there is just problem after problem after problem, including problems that persist after not only one audit, not only two audits, but sometimes three audits, including claims of fraud within that system. When there's 
when you don't have to compete against anybody else, um, when you get a budget <laughs> from the folks in Sacramento, uh, and when there's really a largesse of dollars flowing into the state, and Bill, you mentioned, you know, what, where are those dollars coming from? Well, about 25% of personal income tax payments are coming from the top one-tenth of 1% 1 of taxpayers. Right. So just, you know, uh, so in relative terms, a handful of people are funding state government through 25% of the personal income tax payments. So you've got this money flowing in and Newsom doesn't even really know, there's so much he doesn't even know what to do with it all. So this is exactly the wrong, this is a big wrong for California to have all this largesse coming in um, because at least when times are tough, state lawmakers, governor have to say, hey, you know what? You're gonna have to fight over this last nickel and dime. Who has a good idea to get that last nickel and dime? Um, so, you know, people are saying, oh, well, you know, uh, in fact, I, you know, someone tweeted last night uh, in response to a tweet I sent out about, uh, about, about California on your mind this week and said, oh, well, look at all the tax revenue coming in. And my response was, well, that's coming from one-tenth of one percent of those taxpayers. Um, guess what? If this single-payer tax proposal goes through, well, uh, those people are going to figure out a way to get out of the state. Really, no matter what, really, no matter what the, uh, what the, uh, the state uh, tax authorities, no matter how hard they look, these people can hire, the, can hire the best tax attorneys, the best tax accountants. They'll find, they'll find a way. Well, California is making it more difficult to keep the people who fund us, and that could lead to a fiscal crisis, despite the fact that we have so much revenue coming in right now. I think it also raises the question about our social covenant, Lee, in this regard. Um, you can argue there are people in California who make so much friggin' money that it doesn't matter if their rates get pushed up a little bit more. They're, they're happy to be in California. They live behind their gates, and so life is, life is just dandy. But this could be the proverbial straw that breaks the camel's back, and people could just decide, okay, enough is enough. I'm gone. And what I'm interested in this regard, Lee, would be this. This gets back into the idea of come the time, if anytime soon, we return to normal in California in terms of working relationships people coming back in the office. I'm an employer in Los Angeles. Let's say I'm in the entertainment business in Los Angeles. I have a lot of employees who make good salaries. They're all making nice six-figure incomes and they get hit very hard by this tax. They want to live out of the state. They're talented people. I don't want to lose their intellectual input. I need to keep them on board. So now I start setting up arrangements, Lee, where they're going to work out of the state for X number of days, filter back into California X number of days. Um, this can't be good for the economy Overall, number one, if these people are only living here in California part-time. But secondly, it seems to be an invitation for the legislature, which is always looking for ways to just kind of like close these loopholes. I would suspect the legislature would take a very hard look at the franchise tax board, Lee, and the, uh, the requirement, the threshold for what it is to be a resident of California. What is it, 180 days or 160 or 150, whatever it is for taxes right now, Lee? And I suspect they might lop a good 10 to 15 days off that just to say if more people are leaving, we're still going to try to nail them as California residents. So uh, it kind of reminds me of when this debate a couple of years ago about the global wealth tax. If you remember, one of the provisions in there was if Leo Hanian wants to pick up his toy and leave California, we're going to keep taxing Leo Hanian for the next 10 years because we'll still consider him a partial California resident having been here for, for that time. So I just wonder, Lee, if you look at an issue like that, um, do we need to be thinking about its impact, not just on healthcare in California and not just on, on people here, but just also the economy itself in terms of how the economy is set up? 
Uh, absolutely. Uh, California lost 367,000 people on net last year. Um, sort of humorously, U-Haul reported that it couldn't keep up with the demand for one-way <laughs> for one-way U-Haul trucks. Uh, by, by, the way, I, by the way, I did this over break, Lee. I actually I was getting cabin fever and getting a little bored. So one day I wanted to U-Haul. By the way, a couple of my readers, Lee, have asked, does Leo Hanian have money in U-Haul or is he somehow paid by U-Haul? Uh, <laughs> but <laughs> I told you him, know, no, he's not. Back in back back in the day, uh, back in the day when I was younger and stronger, and, and I didn't have as much money, um, I did use U-Haul. Um, yeah. uh, never forget that truck rolling down the hill. That's another uh, that's another story. Uh, no, but only um, I uh, I looked for a one way uh, U-Haul from California to Austin. It came in at about thirty five hundred dollars for a one way trip, and then I looked for a one way U-Haul from Austin to San Francisco. It came in about five hundred bucks. <laughs> So yeah, that, that's yeah. Pe- people, uh, those are great, great factoids, and, and people simply don't, don't, don't. None of people understand that. Um, right. And Bill, you know, from the standpoint of the economy, there's, um, there's two, uh, there's two problems um, that I think everybody, irrespective of their politics, really should be worried about. Um, one is that um, uh, I don't want. I don't think it's healthy to have ideologues within the state or local government. And I think the assembly and the Senate um, is, is converging into that. And, and I, and, and ideally I don't think they sh- there should be right ideologues or left ideologues. Um, but I think that's what we're getting. We're getting ideologues who are saying, Hey, single payer, that's, you know, that's my, that's what I want me as, as a legislator, that's what I want. And we're going to do it. And we're going to go up to those high earners because, you know, they don't pay, quote, pay their fair share, unquote. Well, beyond the, you know, the, the very important question of, well, what does fair mean? Um, they're really, we, I think we've passed um, the gray area of what constitutes the role of public servants in our daily lives um, to the point that we no longer have people saying, hey, there's a bunch of problems, let's fix this, let's fix this without costing taxpayers too much money. That was kind of the way state government and local government worked year after year, decade after decade. That's the way it's supposed to work. Um, where there's pretty common definition of what the problems are, there's pothole, there's potholes in the roads, there's, you know, there's dams and bridges that are 40 years old that need to be retrofitted. <clears throat> let's get that stuff done. And let's not, let's not have a cost and arm the leg to the taxpayer. That's the principle of state government, local government. Now it's, you know, it's, it's pie in the sky. Let's, let's pretend we're going to have single payer health care that will somehow magically bring down the cost of health care and increase the quality of health care just because we think in our little nirvana that it will. Um, I think we just crossed over into an area that everybody should be worried about of, political leaders really defining a portion of our lives that they never were intended to define or to interfere with or to have influence on. They're, they're, the whole idea behind limited government is we've, we've hired these people. They are our employers, our employees. We've hired them to do a job. They're not doing the job we hired them for. And instead, they're telling us really how to live our lives, how, to, how we're going to get health care, um, uh, why we're going to get what will be essentially very bad healthcare uh, that will cost an arm and a leg. Um, and so this should be really of concern for, for everyone, irrespective of, their, uh, of, of where they're on the political spectrum. 
Yeah, Lee, you could be looking at uh, uh, the initiative process as, in some regards, the fourth branch of government in California. If you consider that there is a, a need, a concern, a uh, an energy out there to undo things the legislature does to strike the balance that you uh, you wish we had in Sacramento, uh, for example, an initiative which would strike down single payer care of voters shooting that down. Uh, you look at the ballot coming up in November, Lee, there are a handful of education measures that could speak to this. There are two right now dealing with school choice, as we know school choice is deader than a doornail legislature, but there are two measures moving forward that would offer um, uh, savings accounts, I think thirteen dollars to $14,000 annual savings accounts money for, for families. Um, there's a measure which sounds kind of trivial, but it's important. And, that would, um, and what that measure would do is it would add to the Constitution the words that every Californian is entitled to a high quality education. Uh, why is that uh, matterly? Because that would give a family grounds to sue a school district saying, you're not giving me, this gets back to the Vagar uh, case of a few years ago, but it was a good California basically right to school, to sue schools for doing a poor job. And then there's Tim Draper's measure, which would uh, undo public employed unions altogether. So um, this is kind of the balanced legislature. And I think we're going to see this going on because, you know, there is no conservative presence in Sacramento. Republicans are officially irrelevant as long as they um, have a less than one third presence in legislature. They get rolled on every vote. You don't have a single Republican office holder. So it really what single payer shows, what the governor's budget kind of shows, too, is it really is the progressive game, the progressive rules right now. So I think, Lee, the, legis- the initiative process becomes all the more important in terms of pushing back against various ideas. Yeah. And, 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 you know, I mean, there, there are times when we think somewhat negatively about the initiative process yeah. that, uh, hey, you know what? I mean, why are we electing these people? Why are we hiring these people for them to take care of and think about all this stuff that 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 they should be doing? But but they're not. So now citizens are taking their own hands and um, and those are going to build. I mean, I mean, you, you hit the nail on the head with that. Those are so far off the progressive agenda, you know, school choice, uh, undoing public sector unions. Uh, I, I mean, it, based on the research I've done, based on just any kind of look at, uh, at the numbers, uh, that would be so incredibly helpful for the poorest people in the state. Those are the people who are in the worst schools where they have no alternative other than a horribly performing school that's two blocks down the street. Those are the people who would be really helped by school choice. They would be really helped by no more unions that not only, you know, it's not just the unions push up compensation above what would be paid in the private sector. And this is very important because within state government, and within local government in California, there's a huge, huge wage premium, right? enormous wage premium that never used to be there. That premium emerged about 2000 and has grown ever since. But beyond that, um, you've got unions imposing regulations within the job that makes it very hard to terminate people who don't perform well. And, and that's one of the major problems within, uh, within K through 12 is that, you know, there's not everybody, not everybody is a great teacher. And those in the, you know, there's there's a bottom 10% in everything. And the bottom 10% of teachers are concentrated in the worst schools. They're not going to get hired in Beverly Hills. They're not getting hired in Santa Monica. They're getting hired in Compton and in poor parts of the East Bay. 
And so these these changes would make so much of a difference for poor people. Um, and yet, um, you know, then the puzzle becomes, well, once they kind of understand this, um, it's going to be, there's going to, they're, you know, they're going to understand that voting Democrat or voting for a certain type of Democrat, progressive Democrat, is not in their best interest. Yeah. Um, Bill, as you mentioned, um, the uh, single payer uh, bill uh, passed the assembly uh, this week, but um, it's going to need a constitutional amendment um, for that spending, um, f- you know, for the tax increase to pay uh, for uh, single payer should it uh, be signed uh, by by the governor. Um, if that is placed on the 2024 ballot, do you think it has uh, any chance of passing? Uh, it, um, well, it always has a chance because it's a look, it's a Democratic state. There's always a Democratic tailwind at the uh, top. Uh, uh, Governor Newsom will probably get 62 percent of the vote in November. Um, I'm not sure there'll be any competitive Republicans further down the ticket. So in other words, you ask where are the breaks in the process. Uh, but this is not a magical formula by any means in California. This was the same logic that got us two measures in 2020. Uh, one which would have revised Proposition 13 and the property tax side of that. And then the second which would have undone uh, Proposition 209 and reintroduced uh, affirmative action or quotas to public universities in California. Um, the idea of both of those would sail through because Joe Biden was running against Donald Trump at the top of the uh, ticket. So Democratic tailwind. Both of those measures failed. Um Historically, uh, single-payer care has not done well at the ballot. I think there have been, I know there's one measure in 1994 that got crushed. Uh, that was a rather conservative year in California, actually. Uh, I think a second measure uh, since then has also failed. Uh, it doesn't bode well with voters for one simple reason. Once you start mucking with people's health care, and Barack Obama learned this lesson, Bill and Hillary Clinton learned this lesson, people tend to rise up and take arms against it. Um, and I think the advertising campaign would be very interesting uh, in this regard. The governor would talk about. Well, actually, first of all, we have to get through where Gavin Newsom is on this. Gavin Newsom has championed the idea of single-payer care, uh, but you've noticed that he hasn't talked much about it during his time as governor. Uh, He could easily call a special session of the legislature and say, okay, do it now, but he hasn't done that. Why? Because he knows this is a very tricky issue to play politically, and I think a little bit like Jerry Brown, he's kind of wondering where the money is. Maybe he doesn't want to fix himself to a giant tax increase like this, so um, there would have to be a negotiation phase between the governor and legislature. The governor is any smart governor saying, I'll sign it as long as you give me a bill that I can sign. So maybe he would try to play around the provisions here, Lee, but that strikes me as even more nefarious plan if you just start becoming more clever um, in that regard. Um, So I'd be very wary about uh, California's voting for this in general, also in part because the no campaign would be led by two groups. Number one, health insurers, meaning there'd be plenty of money available to uh, to advertise against it. But also, I think a lot of pushback by, from the California Medical Association. This is doctors in California, because this would have two effects on the state, I think. I'm not a medical expert, but Lee, if you want to you know, add on to this, I think, first of all, a doctor would look at this and think, you know, this is going to just compromise the care of, of healthcare in California. I don't want to participate in the system. I will pick up and I will go to another state where there's better health care and I just will have more enjoyable time doing my practice. Then secondly, just doctors, as we know, are paid well. And doctors might decide I'm not going to stay and practice medicine in California if I'm in Los Angeles County and I'm losing two thirds of my income to state and local taxes. Uh, yes, doctors are humanitarians, but they're also capitalists, I think, regard they value money as well. Um, so I think it would have a very difficult time passing for Newsom. And then there's one other factor here, and I'll stop running my mouth here. 
And this is kind of the question of how Gavin Newsom wants to position himself uh, beyond 2022. There's been a lot of attention in the past week, uh, a lot of stories coming out of Washington about the future of the Democratic Party. Suddenly it's kind of open season on Joe Biden's presidency. And it's also kind of open season on Kamala Harris's vice presidency. And people kind of starting to speculate, uh, what if we move on beyond Joe and Kamala, what's out there? And you probably saw the Wall Street Journal piece talking up Hillary Clinton, of all things. Uh, Gavin Newsom so far is noticeably absent from these stories, and I'm not sure why, but if he wakes up on the morning after Election Day in America, having won big in California while his party is kind of in a shambles nationally, he becomes a very attractive alternative, I think. But the question, Lee and Jonathan, is, okay, suddenly he's talked about the next big thing in Democratic politics. What are the two to three things out there that he wants to talk about? I'm not sure that single-payer care would be the top of that hit list. No, no, it, it wouldn't. Um, and, you know, Bill is very interesting because Newsom um, has been just very gradually, almost at a glacial pace, has been walking away from single payer, maybe not walking away from it, but see, he certainly isn't talking about it nearly as much as he did back in 2017, 2018, 2019. Um, so, I mean, what we know about single payer uh, is that it'll lead to two tiers of quality. Um, um, Nancy Pelosi and, and, and Gavin Newsom uh, and, and extremely wealthy people, whether they're Republicans or Democrats, will just you know, pay out of pocket for the, right. you know, for the very best physician services. Um, <clears throat> so from their standpoint, it won't make all that much difference. Um, and then, you know, California is already an incredibly expensive state. When you look at, uh, say, young doctors thinking of moving to California and setting up a practice, um, and obviously, you know, we there's a life cycle of, uh, you know, physicians get to an age they retire, new doctors come in. Um, let's say there's a doctor who wants to move to uh, Stanford, Stanford Medical Center, you know, top flight doc specialist, move to Stanford Medical Center or UCSF or UCLA or Cedar sinai um, Previously, these folks could make, after maybe 10 years, $600,000, $700,000 a year, depending upon their specialty, which um, is not a ton if you were thinking about buying a home in any of these places today and sending kids to private school and paying off medical school debt. Now, with single payer, what we know is that providers get squeezed. Yeah. That's always what happens first with... Uh, Listening to pair healthcare and, and, and why nearly all of the new doctors in the UK's National Health Service, where nearly all are from other countries, uh, primarily from North Africa and the Middle East. Those are the folks they are attracting because they're not paying doctors very much. Those who are being trained in, um, in UK medical schools often are moving elsewhere. Um, so it would, uh, uh, and Bill, I agree with you in terms of the advertising, um, there's gonna be an enormous amount of pushback. And I think we'll go back and talk about the failures of Obamacare. Uh, costs have skyrocketed. Uh, it was advertised to bring costs down. Uh, you know, you get to keep your own doctor, you know, that whole, that whole theme will, will come back. Um, and I think it is fascinating about what's going on at the national level with the Democratic Party. Um, I don't know what Biden's approval ratings are right now within representative polls, uh, ones that are conducted, you know, ones that, that weigh whether it's Republicans or Democrats responding to the polls. 
but I suspect it might be in the mid 30s now, maybe mid to high 30s. Um, I mean, approaching Donald Trump territory. Um, and Kamala is uh, is probably no better. So now you have a situation where, um, you know, what happens in 24? And I agree that that Gavin, uh, we know what his political ambitions are. Uh, he will win big in uh, in 22. Um, Larry Elder has said he's not going to run. He said that it's just, this makes no sense within the state for him to run. Mm -hmm. And I think if, uh, you know, if I was, if I was part of the Republican, if the state Republican party, I would focus all of my energies on trying to get to a minimum of uh, you know thirty five percent in the in the Senate or the Assembly, because at that point you know then they can provide some blocking. Uh, and right now I think it's seventy two to seventy five percent in the Assembly and the Senate. So, and and for Republicans to do that, they're going to you know that they're just going to have to walk away from Trump. Um, they're just going to have to be moderate. They're going to have to say, I'm going to fix the problems. This is California. I'm not taking on abortion. I'm not taking on those types of federal issues. I'm going to get, I'm going to, I'm going to fix the roads. I'm going to fix the schools. I'm going to make sure there's adequate water. Right. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to make sure that, you know, a, a house, you know, a, a lousy house doesn't cost a million dollars, but, um, Republicans are going to have to break that supermajority. They are. So, you know, one thing about uh, the single payer thing, Lee, if I were thinking about running for governor in 2026, if I'm a lady, Kunalaga's lieutenant governor, or Rob Bonta, the attorney general, or even uh, Javier Becerra, the HHS secretary back in Washington, as of whatever happened to that guy, because he never is in the news, it seems. Um, I would be studying this issue right now, and here's why. Uh, as you're building up to run for governor of California, you kind of have to start thinking about what it is I want to run on. But you also should be thinking in this regard, if I win, what am I inheriting? And a good example of this is homelessness, uh, where if Gavin Newsom was paying close attention as lieutenant governor, he would have noticed that Jerry Brown was doing little things with regard to homelessness, not ignoring it, but there really wasn't a strategic plan in place, which is something that Newsom is now using as kind of a defense against his record on homelessness, saying, hey, I inherited a situation where there was no strategic plan, so don't blame me, basically blame Jerry for this. Um, this is why single pair care is relevant, I think. If this passes in 2022, let's say, uh, and we go by the Vermont example, it took Vermont three years of thrashing about in a very small homogenous state uh, before the thing died in undignified death. Um, maybe it plays out the same in California, but maybe on a three to five or six year um, you know, you know, basis just based on the enormity of California. What that means, Lee, is that this lands on the lap of the first term of a new governor. So and just really can almost see this playing out already in 2027. That person comes in office. The first thing is, what are you going to do about this messed up single care plan? So um, that's one reason why it's relevant. But uh, you know, it's interesting. Uh, you mentioned, Lee, about dealing with current time uh, problems in California. This is part of the pushback against the Newsom budget that as much as the governor wants to talk about transformative paradigm changes in California, there is the question about what you're doing in the here and now. And so homelessness, smash and grab uh, infrastructure, those are all, you know, you know, immediate concerns. And guess what? Voters tend to vote on the immediate, not the long term. Voters vote on the immediate. Yeah. I mean, if there's a if there's a pothole in the street in front of them, they want to fix they want to fix tomorrow. They don't want to fix five or six years from now. And um, yeah, the rollout for something like this, Bill, um, I was thinking the same thing. It's going to take years. And uh, whoever's in the governor's office at the time it actually takes place, if it were to be voted in, 
uh, is not going to be the guy or gal who 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 signed off on it, uh, and that's going to be a huge problem. And you know when um, and it's really interesting you brought up homelessness because uh, and, and and Gavin saying, hey, look what I inherited. This is a mess. And you know the reason it's a mess is um, there's essentially the inner bound grill in the room is that an awful lot of uh, an awful lot of homelessness. I mean the kind we see in San Francisco and in LA, a lot of that is emotional health issues, uh, physical health issues. Uh, a lot of it is drug addiction. And, you know, what are you going to do about that? It's just not a matter of building housing. Um, these are people who need all sorts of help. And I think the state is making a big mistake in, um, in building permanent housing support for the homeless, not temporary, but permanent for the following reason. Who's gonna get that permanent housing? Not everybody is gonna be able to live in San Francisco and have a view of the Golden, Golden Gate Bridge. Right. Back in the day, people sort of chose the location uh, on the basis of a number of factors, including, hey, where can I afford to have the life I wanna have? You know, Where's the job, et cetera. Um, we're going to have an influx of more people who are homeless, more people who are addicted to drugs, more people with emotional health challenges. Um, there's going to be a never-ending stream, and San Francisco cannot hold them all. And we cannot build housing at $1,000, $1,200 a square foot for every person who doesn't, uh, who's living on the street. That is just simply not realistic. It's a national problem. Uh, and I think part of the solution is going to be, okay, how do we figure out what to do with these people who are addicted to opioids, addicted to other drugs? And we've got to get back to the principle of, you know what? Part of your location decision is to be able to what you can afford. And society cannot, cannot house, you know, one out of the 10,000 in San Francisco with that view of the Golden Gate Bridge. It just makes no sense whatsoever. But, but that's, part, that's part of the state's package. And I, think it's a, and I think that's a big mistake from the standpoint of subsidizing what we really don't want to see. Another um, key vulnerability for Gavin Newsom and the Democratic, California Democratic Party has been the issue of crime. Um, these are just some of the FBI statistics from September 2021. In Los Angeles, total crime is up 22% and violent crime is up 86%. In San Francisco, total crime is up 111%. Violent crime up 40% and property crime up 124%. Uh, this morning, the Wall Street Journal editorial board complimented San Francisco's mayor, London Breed, for her public reversal on crime policy, in which she said the city government will take more aggressive action on law enforcement. Uh, gentlemen, is the mayor to be taken seriously? Will she put uh, the money where her mouth is? Well, the let's say the mayor is taking this seriously. It's interesting. She turned on this issue. She became tough on this issue. I don't think it's coincidence. Almost immediately after a very prominent trade group uh, pulled out of its annual trip to San Francisco. And I think as a mayor, you understand I need money to run my city in San Francisco. Convention tourism is a big part of that puzzle. And I think she saw a problem. So I think she needed to change her tune. Here's the problem, though. She is part of a system in San Francisco. It's not like she's the emperor of San Francisco and she can wave her wand and do things magically. She has to deal with a very contentious, difficult, some would say bizarre board of supervisors who don't see the world. Uh, she does 
does. So I think she can give it a lot of lip service, but the question is, is she going to actually do the heavy lifting here, which is knocking heads together? Uh, there's going to be a recall election uh, this year in San Francisco over the DA. So where's she going to be on that? I suspect she'll defend him saying that he deserves a, you know, a second chance. But uh, if she really wanted to shock the world and get on the, get on the tough on crime side of things, she'd toss him uh, under the bus as well. But no, I think the problem is she's dealing with, uh, with a San Francisco system itself, which is dysfunctional. Yeah, that's, that's absolutely right. I, uh, I was shocked. I was shocked to see her declare a state of emergency uh, for the Tenderloin District in San Francisco. It's always been, right. it's always been a high crime district. Um, relative, relatively speaking, that was always where a lot of the drug use was. But of course, now it, it is, uh, it's become the Titanic, where, where at one time it was a sailboat. Now it's the Titanic of, 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 of the drug neighborhoods in San Francisco. And she declared a state of emergency, uh, which means, um, you know, more public toilets. Okay, good idea there. Um, more help for those who wish to seek help. In principle, good idea, but a lot of these folks, San Francisco provides an enormous amount of resources for those who wish to deal with their addiction. And yeah. the problem is just a, not, a, a lot aren't willing to do that. Right. Um, but then she also, and this is what really got up the ire of, uh, of, of, of the, uh, the, 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 the city supervisors and of uh, Chase Boudin. Um, is that cracking down on those who will not follow through with getting treatment and cracking down on people selling drugs. Right. And, uh, and my goodness, I am just shaking my head when I saw the amount of pushback she received because how many more data points do we need to understand that San Francisco's policy approach to essentially normalizing drug use is anything but normal and is tearing the city apart. I mean, last in, in 2021, uh, or no, I don't think the, I'm not sure if the full numbers are in for 2021, but in 2020, there were 711 opioid overdose deaths, um, more than twice as many deaths as deaths from COVID, uh, which of course was the, pan, you know, the, the, the pandemic of the century. Um, I just have no idea. I, I'm glad to see Ms. Breed doing this. Uh, I just have no idea what these people are thinking. It just, it just boggles the mind um, there, that they're going to push back on this. A couple other things she could do, Lee. First of all, um, there is uh, talk of doing a uh, initiative which would repeal parts of, if not all, of Proposition 47, which was, uh, of course, drawn up by George Gaston, who's now the DA in Los Angeles, formerly of San Francisco, who um, some would say is kind of the godfather of this problem of crime in California because Prop 47 opened the door for low-level theft to go unpunished. Uh, she could come out in favor of uh, revisiting Prop 47, which would be kind of a landmark step for a Democrat in California. Jerry Brown and Gavin Newsom were supporters of that. She could also sit down with San Francisco law enforcement, Lee, and have a conversation about how they fundamentally approach policing their city. And I think we talked about this in the last podcast. This is the broken window theory, the New York approach, where you put cops on the street to try to physically deter people. And sure enough, that's what happened in Union Square after they had the uh, the famous smash and grab the Louis Vuitton. They just flooded the zone with cops and 
you know, that was at least a Band-Aid. It got them through uh, Christmas, but she needs to maybe talk to local law enforcement about just what their presence is in San Francisco. And now she's up against the culture of San Francisco. You guys probably saw the story last month where a couple of cops in San Francisco went to sit down and get a bite to eat in a restaurant. And the folks owning the restaurant say, would you mind leaving? You're making everybody uncomfortable. Well, you know, in theory, you should be praising the cops for, you know, trying to keep your streets safe, not seeing them as the enemy. But uh, so that's why I mentioned she's up against a political system, but she's just up against a larger mindset in San Francisco. So, you know, congratulations on your courage, Mayor Breed, but uh, good luck. She's up against, uh, no, she's up against uh, a, a, an enormous, uh, an enormous wall of uh, resentment. And what I hate to see is, you know, thinly veiled politics, um, which overlay really the financial interests of many, many others, uh, including all of those who work in the <clears throat> who work in the uh, harm reduction drug industry, who are counselors, who don't want to lose their jobs, um, and who sit, I think, idle for a lot of the time, waiting for addicts to walk in and say, hey, help me get off fentanyl. Um, when they don't want to do that. Um, and we've got a surplus of these people is what I suspect. Uh, I don't know that for a fact, but um, I mean, to give people an idea, San Francisco, before Breed became mayor, San Francisco spent $10 billion, $10 billion on opioid issues <clears throat> in 2017, 2018. And you might as well just have taken a match and, 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 and lit fire to that stack of money for all I can tell that it's done to improve the city. Right. And the police force really now has, has very little morale left. Um, when we go back, Bill, to your uh, really excellent point about the broken window theory and how, how New York turned it around, um, you know, there's twice as many cops on the beat in New York as there are in San Francisco. So I would say reallocate some of the budget from providing uh, crack pipes and um, heroin snorting uh, to more cops. And I think San Francisco will be a lot, a lot better off. But um, she does face a big, big hurdle. Um, there's a lot of political hay to be made if she can get that through. And um, if she can, <laughs> things are so bad. Things are so bad they will turn around and turn around pretty substantially and she'll get the credit, which I think she would deserve. Um, and that could be a nice political platform for her. So I hope she keeps pushing on that. And I hope she can make way with some of uh, some of the vested interests. Mm -hmm. uh, this has been very interesting and timely analysis, gentlemen. Thank you so much for your time. Great. You, happy to hear you, Good seeing you guys. You've been listening to Matters of Policy and Politics, the Hoover Institution podcast, devoted to governance and balance of power here in America and around the free world. Please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast wherever you might hear it. And if you don't mind, please spread the word, get your friends to have a listen. The Hoover Institution has Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter feeds. Our Twitter handle is at Hoover Inst. That's at Hoover I-N-S-T. Bill Whalen is on Twitter. His handle is at Bill Whalen C-A. And Leo Hanian is also on Twitter. His handle is at Lee underscore Ohanian. Please visit the Hoover website at hoover.org and sign up for the Hoover Daily Report, where you can access the latest scholarship and analysis from our, from our fellows. Also check out California On Your Mind, where Bill Whalen and Leo Hanian write every week. Again, this is Jonathan Freudis sitting in Bill Whalen's chair this week. He'll be back for another episode of Matters of Policy and Politics. Thank you for listening. This podcast is a production of the Hoover Institution, where we advance ideas that define a free society and improve the human condition. For more information about our work or to listen to more of our podcasts or watch our videos, please visit hoover.org.